Culture historians, everybody, for another week of Doctor Who Series 2. Season 2. Season 2. Uh, my name is Ryan Ritter. That's Jimmy McShane on the line. Uh, <laughs> did I correct myself correctly? You did. You did. It's, Doctor Who fans are really, um, they're a bit into, a bit nitpicky, I guess, with the, uh, with the terminology sometimes, or... They can't, they definitely get into like the, the weeds with the, the different, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, min, not minutia, but, um, hmm. uh, well, minutia is, it seems like the, it seems like a fitting word. Um, yeah. the, the small details or the, yeah, uh, the small details, um, you know, whether it's two, series two or whether we should be calling series two actually season 28 and exactly how many classic who serials were there and uh-huh. you know whether like that first serial was really one serial or it's the first episode should be its own thing and the caveman stuff is its own serial i mean uh life's too short <laughs> <laughs> that's what i say and uh, that's the uh, that's the that's the level of um, enthusiasm you can see every week here at this uh, this, uh, <laughs> this doctor. It's become basically a Doctor Who uh, fan podcast. Uh, <laughs> uh, one of them doesn't really care about the minutia and doesn't know if they're called seasons or series. Um, it's good stuff. Uh, <laughs> speaking of good stuff, um, this week's serial. Um, what do we got on deck this week? We have the Romans, a four-part serial. Uh, written by our script editor, Dennis Spooner. This is his second uh, script for the for the show. The first one being The Reign of Terror, the season one finale, what ended up being the season one finale. Uh, he's script editor now, and he's now also contributed this script, another historical one. And we got, it was directed by Christopher Berry. And this is his third his third one so far, uh, the other two being half of the Daleks, the, you know, the serial that introduced the iconic monster, and then the previous serial, The Rescue, and of course, this was filmed on the same shooting block as The Rescue, so they filmed The Rescue and The Roman as like a six-episode shooting block. Right, and uh, yeah, as you mentioned, I, uh, another historical 
uh, themed serial ran from four parts from January 16th, 1965 to February 6th, 1965. And uh, obviously we've had historical serials before. Um, This one felt a little different. Um, uh, I I suspect, I suspect you agree with me and know what I mean by that. Um, And uh, we'll just jump right in. Um, What's your, you know, Broad picture. What are your feelings on this serial? I love this serial. This is one of my favorite William Hartnell serials, if not my favorite William Hartnell serial, um, to be honest with you. I think, I don't know. I just, I love this serial. I really like it. What do, what do you think of it? Yeah, I loved it too. Um, it, it, it has this nice blend, and I think it's an intentional one. I don't know which, I don't know which part of it came first. Um, uh, some really, really broad slapstick comedy. Some There's a scene in the third episode that ha- has the cadence of like a Scooby-Doo chase sequence. Um, right. <laughs> but, you know, that, that's all pasted on top of a story that's pretty dark. Um, <laughs> Incredibly, yeah. Um, maybe the darkest stuff they've ever done. And this is coming off of a seven-part serial where you know, the world was taken over by, <laughs> by robot aliens. And, um, no, it's, I think it's a good flavor for this show in this, in this era. Um, obviously the show can do, you know, can do kind of dire futuristic, uh, you know, almost post-apocalyptic cinematic stuff pretty well. Um, I thought the, the, the latest Dalek serial held together pretty well. Um, but this was a chance for them to just kind of be silly and uh, tell. Act- I mean, there's actual like joke dialogue in this, and that's. I think that that's new. There's been moments of lightheartedness, but this is the first one that's like legitimately like trying to be funny. And I think that's a good. Right. It, yeah, it's a good feel. Yeah, I mean, there, there have been jokes before, I think, but they've been kind of like in passing, almost like kind of just like inserted, like you know, William Harnell kept Peter Peel's name wrong, so they made it a recurring thing, but <laughs> sure. uh, you know, or like they'll like have a point where Ian messes with the doctor about something, but yeah, it's kind of more like lighthearted moments. This is, this is the first one where the serial was a comedy serial, I would argue. Yeah. Um, to that end, we had a pretty big, um, uh, well, Big. I don't know that he's famous in any way, but to that, and in terms of like comedy actors, um, they pulled someone kind of from the British ranks um, to play a pretty major role here. Just something I, mean, I think. Stuff. Yeah, I think he was well known by the British people at the time. You know, he he had a you know a, a pretty established career at this point as a comedian for British for BBC series. I think. And so yeah. it was kind of like a famous TV star being in another show. Not like, not the equivalent of like Robert Downey Jr. coming into your <laughs> right. show. Maybe. But maybe right. like Tim Bay or somebody like that, yeah. you know? And a name people would have recognized at the time, but not necessarily like a huge, huge star. Not Lawrence you know, yeah. or anything. Yeah. Um, and we're talking to, about Derek Francis, um, who plays Nero here. Um, and like William Hartnell, who got his start uh, in the first of the Carry On film series, which is, um, which is an obscure film series to me. I had never heard of it. I'd never seen any of them. But a lot of more British stars and character actors than you think came from this series of 
films. Uh, William Hartnell came out in the first one, which is called Carry On Sergeant, I believe. I don't have it in front of me. And I Derek, believe so, yeah. Yeah, and Derek Francis um, kind of made a career off of appearing in these. Um, and, you know, like many British actors then and now, um, he could kind of do a little bit of everything. You know, he's, he's done Shakespearean roles at, like the old Vic and stuff. Um, I say has. Um, I should say uh, had. He had passed away uh, in 1984. No longer with us, but um, he is with us in spirit here. Um, as Nero. Yeah, yeah. He's not a huge star. This, is, this isn't like Brad Pitt showing up on Friends or something. But um, uh, he's great. He was a great get. Um, I thought he set, he set the tone pretty nicely. I think the whole thing kind of goes up a notch when he first appears and he's like belching and stuff. <laughs> Um, well, and, yeah, right, and because they kind of build up to his first appearance, he doesn't even show up until towards the end of the second episode. But the, the you know the whole thing is the Doctor and Vicky are on their way to see Nero. I guess we'll talk more about that when we get to it. But yeah, they they kind of build up his appearance, and then he he quickly kind of takes over the serial in a good way. I think. Yeah, that's fair. And what's interesting um, before we well something I want to start doing. Um, I won't move on just yet. Um, we mentioned Eric Francis. Something I want to start doing is um, highlighting some of the um, bigger guest stars we have. Um, it's not always easy to do since, um, you know, these are usually four to six or seven episodes and you got to fill a lot of actors and roles uh, to fill all that content. But I'd like to focus on a, a couple. I have four. We already did Derek Francis. So I guess I have uh, another major guest star uh, is Kay Patrick, who plays, uh, I'm going to get her name wrong, Papaya? Papaya, yeah. Papaya, who's um, Nero's wife and kind of kind of brings on a more, she's not, she's not a funny role. Um, she's, she kind of <laughs> brings more of the uh, kind of Shakespearean um, Lady Macbeth kind of energy. And uh, <laughs> she's another fun character and kind of fun to have like a very straight-laced, serious character in the midst of all this chaos and doing all this scheming. Uh, she's mostly a television director uh, now. She's still with us. She's still kicking, um, which is a a lot of fun. She was great. Mm -hmm. Uh, Peter Diamond, who plays uh, Delos, who I believe that's the, um, that's the man that uh, Ian meets on the slave ship and goes on. Yeah. um, He's a stunt, a stunt guy, right? That's exactly right. He's a stunt worker, Um, but his credits, he's also part of the carry on film franchise. Um, But his he has a bunch of American credits, and you may have heard of a couple of these. Um, Raiders of the Lost Ark. Um, American, wow. Were- American Werewolf in London. I love that movie. Uh, I have never seen it. It's weird. <laughs> that's my understanding. That's, that's Landis, right? Oh, I don't remember who directed it. Uh, uh, okay. I think so. I think so. <laughs> the pop culture story and strike again. <laughs> um, <laughs> okay, uh, I'll, I'll look it up. But go on. Yeah. Um, I think to me, his biggest claim to fame, he appears in the original Star Wars as the Tusken Raider who attacks Luke, who um, famously makes the grunt of the. Uh, 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 uh. I thought I recognized him. That's Peter Diamond. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I, I, I think he had a mask on in Star Wars, although I'm not. Sh- I'm not sure. Um, yeah. yeah. Can I get some flex and acting muscle here in this Doctor Who serial? I thought he was great. Yeah, he was really good. Uh, of course, uh, you were correct. John Landis did write and direct American Werewolf in London. There you go. Uh, yeah, great. Good. I'm glad I got that right. 
Uh, he also appeared in the Empire Strikes Back, Return of the Jedi. But to me, he's a Tusken Raider. Um, That's awesome. I didn't know that. I will forever have that in my memory <laughs> now because <laughs> both things I love. And <laughs> and he was a major part of both of them because it's, it was an iconic yell, right? I mean, I knew exactly what you were talking about. Yeah, even as yeah. a kid when I... um. You know, the first time I sat down, I wasn't into Star I was shown Star Wars at like seven or eight, and I just don't have a memory of like liking it that much. And then much. you watched the Star Wars Christmas special, and you were, you were hooked? That's exactly right. And I was like, oh, wait a minute. If this is what Star Wars is, I'm in. Never caught that high again, but I, I keep hoping, maybe. Um, yeah, Peter Diamond. And the last person I want, I don't know if I have a lot of fun facts about him. Um, but um, Michael Peake is uh, the duplicitous Tavius, um, who mm-hmm. I thought was great in this serial. He was. Uh, um, like many character actors kicking around in his time, did 800 things. Passed away <laughs> not long after this. Um, he died like in 1967. Um, oh, wow. Not, not a fun fact, but it's just, it was weird. This is one of, it's kind of one of the last things he did as the crow flies in, re- in relation to his career. I think he probably had another dozen credits or so but uh, or probably more than that um but th- again great uh, good g- a plus casting job all around um in this serial um, right. i thought you know and i think it helps because uh it's a pretty popular show at this point and it has a lot of momentum and so when you want a good character actor like uh you know like francis Derek francis yeah he's more likely to say yes Whereas, you know, uh, if the show wasn't doing so well, um, you know, maybe, maybe it's a bit harder to get some of those better actors. Gosh, I think he volunteered to be on the show. I, I, oh, I'm mistaken. I think I saw that somewhere. Like, I think he asked, like, hey, like, get me on Doctor Who, I think. Well, and, and that could be because that's how popular the show was at the moment. Uh, yeah. In this moment, I should say. Uh, in 1965, it was, it was something if you wanted to you want a lot of eyes on you. I mean, 12 million people watch this live. Yeah. Every episode. And so, um, that's, that's not nothing. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Range from 13 to 10. So 3 million different from the high and the low here, but still like even 10 million, that's a lot of people watching. So that's a big boost. Uh, and uh, I guess the final point I wanted to make is, uh, I guess we could say this for the end. No, I think I think it's I think it's interesting now. This wasn't a particularly well liked serial at the time. I think it's been reevaluated over over the years. But um, there's a lot of um, <laughs> the special features make note of this. There's some tests. There's some <laughs> some test audience notes that um mm-hmm. were unkind in the way only the Brits can be. Where <laughs> so someone kind of called it a bore, but uh, the children seemed entertained, which. <laughs> uh, yes. it's a devastating blow um, to me <laughs> i think uh yeah this is this is it's interesting things like this are interesting to me um yeah it wasn't well liked at the time uh by by i guess the people who had a voice to say something about it uh, there's a line here yeah. that says suitable only for morons <laughs> someone wrote <laughs> um which i which i guess is us uh but yeah i'm afraid so yeah but you know it, it is well like now of course yeah you know there's everyone has different opinions about these things but generally speaking it's well liked i really like it and 
Uh, if you ask a lot of Doctor Who fans of this era what you know what their favorite ones will be, uh, oftentimes the Romans will pop up in there. Um, and something else that's interesting, uh, it used to be like in the 60s, the historicals weren't as well liked. Um, you know, typically the kids and even adults preferred the sci-fi ones. And I feel like that's completely shifted these days. I feel like these days people prefer the 60s historical ones better than the sci-fi ones. I, you know, when you talk about a lot of people's favorites, they tend to be ones, I mean, of course, you have the Dalek ones, but you have, you know, the Aztecs and the Romans are usually up there as far as people's best, like, you know, as far as the ones you've seen so far, the best, like, 60s episodes. And so that's something I think, I do think it's interesting look at how people's opinions about things change uh, oh, sure. especially, especially when you compare like things going on now and you know it'll be people will be talking about like oh this is terrible and then you know 10 15 years from now that that opinion could be completely different oh sure uh that kind of makes me think of a side point um let's see how i want to organize see how i want to structure these thoughts um i will i'll start with i'm glad you mentioned um, kind of the, the kind of preference shift between the sci-fi and the historicals. I think it's no secret that for myself personally, I've been enjoying the historical ones much more than the sci-fi ones. On the whole, um, probably my ne- in terms of favorite serials of the ones I've seen so far, which is a drop in the ocean. Uh, <laughs> it, it, it's like this in the Aztecs, I thought, or close to perfection as I've seen so far, which is not to say all the sci-fi ones are bad, but I think that the, the lows of the sci-fi ones are um, dramatically lower than the, the lows of the historical ones. So yeah, uh, sign me up uh, on that list of uh, people who's, uh, you know, and two, uh, just a kind of a recent example, more recent example of something that um, uh the tides have shifted. This is not related to Doctor Who. Um, but in the, uh, have you ever seen Halloween 3? I have not seen Halloween 3. So this was, I don't know how familiar you are with the Halloween franchise. They, uh, Here, here's what I know about the Halloween franchise. I've seen the first one. Okay. The second one has nothing to do with the first one. It's like in name only it's a sequel. Uh, so, okay. So then you have seen Halloween 3. That's actually Halloween 3. Halloween 2... Oh as a direct continuation of one. Oh, Halloween then, 2, okay. Yeah, and then 3, they decided, let's, let's, let's retire Michael Myers and turn this into an anthology series. And people hated it when it came <laughs> out. It got eviscerated. And part of it is, of course, just Halloween 3, you're expecting Mike Myers. It has a subtitle, Season of the Witch, has nothing to do with anything. The plot has to do with, like, evil Halloween masks. Um, people hated it. It's now considered like one of the better Halloween movies. Um, well, of course, and, um, better kind of seems like a relative term for the how many? Because how many times has he like restarted the Halloween franchise? Uh, there's now there's now three distinct like Halloween like Mike Myers universes, um, like all branching off the first one, right? Correct. Yeah, they okay. kind of restate. They made yeah. Because the thing is, the sequels after three are all junk. Actually, I think Halloween two is junk too. Um, and then they started over with H2O, which was okay, and that led to Resurrection, where, um, of course, Buster Rhymes says, trick or treat, motherfucker. Um, that's, that's a classic then. Yeah, and then they restarted it, of course, now. Well, then there's the Rob Zombie 
universe. I guess that's a fourth universe. That's a standalone. Right, but that one's not based off that original one, the 1970. No, no, either. yeah, yeah. It's not a. It's yeah. a, anyway. Um, <laughs> I didn't mean to make this into a Halloween podcast. It's just been on my mind, and uh, Halloween three has had such a severe change in uh, mood towards it. It was eviscerated to the point that they never did another anthology movie. It's just all, it's all Mike Myers all the time now. Uh, but it's actually, it's, and I actually don't think it's that bad. I actually think it's pretty good. If it didn't have the Halloween three name on it, I think people would have been kinder to it. Yeah. Um, things, things like that do interest me. And so that's something that does happen. This won't be the last time in Doctor Who where something was disliked at the time and is now considered great by the general fan base. Well, and so, yeah. And I have to wonder too, if, cause you know, we're watching it, you know, first episode on I have to you know this is <laughs> you start watching it when you start watching it in the 60s and I have to imagine the Daleks is what got people hooked and this is very much not the Daleks and I have to wonder if it's just like this isn't the show that I thought it was it's hard to say because the same time, this is still season two and there's still you know the first episode got 13 million the second episode got 11.5 so a decent decline there third episode got 10 but then the fourth episode got 12 that's interesting. You know, I think there's reasons why people don't, there's no, there's no recording. I mean, people recorded the audio. Um, that's how we have the audio from missing episodes. But there's no, like, kind of DVR and watch it later, or even record it and watch it later. So you either saw it or you didn't. And so, right. um, you know, if you, miss, if you miss the second episode, you probably look likely come back for the third. But maybe you still want to see how it all wraps up or something. I don't know. But people were still, I guess my point is they knew it was historical at this point, And they were still tuning in. 12 million to see the final episode. Yeah, that's fair. Um, and I have to wonder too, I don't know how, I, mean, I have no insight into how the test audience process works. I don't know if they're showing the whole thing. I don't know if they're showing the first couple. I don't know. You know, it's possible. I'm, I'm kind of curious about that as well. I, I was always kind of an opinion. It always seemed to me that like it was after the fact. What did people think of it? Um, mm-hmm. But I'm not sure, I guess. Yeah, uh, you know, I, ha- I have to wonder if once they got used to the kind of goofier tone, if people kind of settled in a little bit um, and uh, yeah. came back to the show. Uh, I don't know. But yeah, it doesn't seem, I mean, for, yeah, to your point, for all the, you know, the kind of, not, not hand-wringing, but just some of the negative comments, it didn't seem to have like a calamitous effect in the ratings. So, right. yeah, who knows? Which also sometimes <laughs> under, sometimes people can be really vocal and negative and it doesn't necessarily represent how everyone how the majority feel. Sure. Well, and consider too, it's probably more interesting on a, uh, you know, uh, a wiki entry or special features to talk about who didn't like something than it is to say, and eh, everyone liked it. It's <laughs> right. You know, it's memorable. Some people say stuff like so ridiculous that it's a bore, um, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Should we start breaking it down? Let's do it. Yeah, let's go. Let's go. Let's go and do it. All right. So again, we have four parts, and um, let's just jump right into part one. Uh, uh, Name the slave traders. Um, that's T R A D E R S, of course. Um, uh, as you recall from um, the rescue, um, we had kind of a I thought it was a weak, if not literal, cliffhanger. Um, 
Do you, do you want to do you want to remind everyone exactly well, where we so left off? Of course, they they landed. <laughs> they weren't sure where they landed, but they landed on the edge of a cliff. And the episode ends with the TARDIS falling down the cliff and everyone tumbling in the TARDIS. Man, uh, yeah. Um, I love it because it wasn't even like a problem. <laughs> no, like TARDIS can take off from anywhere, uh, which makes sense. Is it? <laughs> shit that goes through space and time like why does that have to be like on the ground <laughs> i have no idea <laughs> which it doesn't it doesn't and so it was literally a non-issue and like like a month later <laughs> oh yeah this is a interesting kind of cut and i have to wonder this is a thought i had because there's a couple of um storytelling shortcuts especially in these first couple episodes and i have to wonder if this was at one point supposed to be like a longer serial that had to reduce itself because it was kind of shot in the same block as like a two-part thing but um yeah and the, there's a, the biggest one is right here we get smash cut to a month later and um they're they're just crashing in some house in rome and everyone's like chill and like i, I don't know if they're literally eating grapes like yeah but, i think they did they were literally yeah. eating grapes yeah <laughs> Uh, and they kind, of, they kind of leave you to figure it out on your own, which is great, but it was jarring. It almost felt like a dream sequence at first. <laughs> Ooh, yeah, because they're all happy and relaxed. Um, I don't know. I loved it. I I, thought, I think part of it was to kind of narratively give Vicky some familiarity with the characters. Because she, she had known them for like a couple hours at the beginning mm. of the serial. And so, you know, you let them take a holiday for a couple weeks all living in the same house, getting to know each other, you buy that familiarity a little bit better. That's yeah. how I read that. Good point. Um, yeah, I think the Vicky thing, I think, it's a, I think that's the answer. It's a way to kind of skip the part where um, she's still figuring everybody out. It's a, it's, look, it's a good move. Um, now, we don't know this yet. We're going to find it out, but um, they are... They're, they're not crashing. Are they officially house sitting, or are they no, crashing? They, they found okay. a big house and they're their squatters. Got they're, it. They're, they, <laughs> I think they figured out that the people were on break. They said, "Oh, uh, we're watching the house for them." <laughs> they're off somewhere, but no, they were just they were fantastic. Just... Yeah, they're 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 squatting in the house of a man named Flavius Giscard, which I don't think he comes up again. But I think his name is great. no. Yeah, it's a great name. Um, so let's see. So yeah, everyone is pretty happy where they are and, um, seem like they're damn near ready to just retire here, but, um, except well, for everyone Vicky, except, except for poor Vicky, who's kind of getting, uh, getting, uh, restless legs. Um, she wants to, uh, you know, check out, <laughs> is she trying, is she seeking, she's seeking further adventure, um, within, uh, the Roman countryside or she's just itching to get out of this time and go somewhere else. I don't remember this precisely. Uh, I, think she, I think she, she wanted to see, you know, see Rome and see things, you know, she didn't just want to, uh, you know, I mean, maybe, maybe either, you know, I think she was just restless. Like you said, bored. Yeah. Cause you know, they're, they, it seems like they're pretty confined to the house more or less. Um, I, I get that. I mean, mm-hmm. Uh, there's a there's a pretty good dinner sequence. Um, and it all sounds great, but you know, after a while, you know, the poached apricots or whatever that was, um, it gets a little old and boring. Right. Um, 
I, I just love everyone in the uh, in the Roman garbs. Um, I love that they fit in a little history lesson here to talk about Romans using aqueducts as opposed to pipes. I think all that stuff's great. Um, so yeah, so uh, as she's outside with Barbara, um, you know, talking about you know, I just I was told we we're going to be traveling through time and space and doing all this stuff, and we we're sitting here. Uh, something ominous is going on behind them in the bushes, um, as I recall correctly. Uh, yeah. Well, basically, two slavers, slave traders, mm-hmm. are bit short of slaves, and they see Vicky and Barbara, and they kind of get some information on them, because they've never, they're kind of familiar with the area, never seen them around before, and I don't know if they're just house-sitting, they don't really know anybody, and they, they make them as targets uh, for their slave trade. They're scheming uh, to abduct them. Yeah, not good. Um, I did like I like the sequence because they end up going to uh, Barbara. Kind of takes Vicky uh, down to like this like local market, and uh, I thought this whole scene was just great. We get a lot of just like characters interacting in this serial, and I love her just showing Vicky how to like, haggle and like how to like operate a market and like. Well, it, it felt it felt very motherly to Vicky to me. It yes. felt you know. And then it makes sense because Barbara's also a teacher, but uh, yeah, it, it, very, it felt like they were kind of trying to build that family dynamic that they had with Susan. And I have to wonder, this is a thought I'd had throughout watching this block, and um, I think this is a good time as any to bring it up now. Um, I, it, I have to wonder how Caroline Ford must have felt about all this because Vicky, what Vicky is not altogether that different from Susan, but she is getting kind of the focus and like the kind of the character stuff that they should have had with Susan, but now it's going to Vicky because probably because they learned their lesson um, and they fixed it, and that's great. But it's kind of sucked to be like all I want is to have like you know some substantial scenes and some character interactions and they kind of had to get rid of you in order to kind of reset and do that. Um, because they're a legitimate family unit now. Um, right. Ian and Barbara, I mean, they're not together, but they're kind of like the mom and the dad. Um, the, the doctor's like the grandpa and Vicky's like the, 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 the young, the, not young. I mean, she's young. She's not like, she's not little, but um, you know, the, she's the kid. And they're operating like that, and it's a lot of fun. And it's it's a shame it that it's a shame that Susan couldn't have been a part of that. You know, I, I suspect part of it too is they had trouble writing for Susan because she was supposed to be an alien who knew more than Ian and Barbara, but they also wrote her like she's a teenager. So it kind of made interactions where like Barb was teaching Vicky something. You know, Susan probably would have known that. Susan has more worldly experience than Barbara does. That's an excellent point. <laughs> and so, and I, and I, and I think, I think that's they they had trouble capitalizing on that dynamic. I think with Susan. Yeah, I think it made for a great hook in the pilot, but it's kind of immediately painted them in the corner with this character. Um, and, yeah. they, and they and yeah, and they instead of letting Susan just be a self sufficient person, they still wanted her to be the the one who got into trouble. And so, they, yeah, it was just kind of. Yeah. Like you said, corner. Yeah, so the slave traders, the because uh, the um, you know Vicky, uh, Vicky and Barbara talks like this woman at the market, you know, one of the vendors about um, coming from like 
London, but it's not quite London. It's like Londinium or something, which is another great moment. <laughs> um, and yeah. I don't know. I don't know how historically accurate that is. Um, it might be real. I choose to. I. I. I, I hope uh, it's Barbara pulling something out of her uh, behind <laughs> to sound more Roman. <laughs> Uh, I actually don't know. I didn't look it up. Yeah, that's okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, um, so the slave traders like bribe the old woman for information and they follow they follow um, uh, Vicky and Barbara back down the road from where they came. Uh, there's someone else that comes down uh, the road. And uh, who do we have here? <laughs> we have uh, Maximus Petillion. Uh, he's just He's just minding his own business. Yeah. With his, with his, his um, oh, is, is, what was it? It's a, uh, it's a, it's a liar. A liar. Yeah. liar. Yeah. And he just gets really murdered. <laughs> yeah. Um, this part wasn't meant, to, this part wasn't played for laughs and it isn't funny to like actually watch, but it's kind of funny to like describe. Yeah. It's right. just an old man who gets immediately killed. <laughs> um, <laughs> Uh, but yeah, the stakes are raised here. Mm-hmm. Right, and so, you know, we see the danger building. You know, we see, you know, someone's murdered. You know, people are talking about kidnapping Vicky and Barbara for, uh, for slavery. Um, but the, the episode's still pretty relaxed and, and lighthearted beyond that so far, I would say. And I think that's a, that's a tricky balance to to have it and is. i think they pulled off pretty well i think part of it too is that it's all played with like a light hand like it, the slave traders could have been really nasty but they're not it's all matter of fact which kind of makes them creepier but you're also not like you're not sitting here going what's going on why are they making like <laughs> our characters like like literal slaves <laughs> what um <laughs> yeah it's a tricky balance it's a good writing um Good, good writing job. Just, that's a mm-hmm. good sentence. Um, <laughs> but um, <laughs> so we're back at the house. Uh, it kind of, it kind of covers old ground. Um, do, um, doctor sensing people kind of maybe want to leave. It's really only Vicky. Doctor's like, well, I'll go to Rome if you want to come with me. Um, again, that kind of that grandfatherly, like I have a second chance at having a not having a granddaughter. But you know, I kind of found my Susan surrogate. And I want to do stuff i want to like go on adventures with her if she wants to come along mm-hmm. um doesn't let barbara come i think that this all felt like this all felt like um pretty blatant setup to separate our our, our yeah. characters um but but I, i'll say it wasn't character in the sense of because we know they're gonna go and get into danger we, we know that from from outside and it's pretty blatant uh but in in the universe they've been in rome for a month nothing bad's happened to them the doctor traveled without Ian and Barbara, and the only reason Barbara wanted to go is because she was worried something would happen to the doctor. You know, and so uh, I think the doctor's indignation about it fit the character. Mm-hmm. And there's a great there's a great sequence here. This is where the dinner is, which is, by the way, I, mm-hmm. I don't know if we've ever seen them eat on the show before. Is there food on the TARDIS? Am I forgetting something? Yeah, no, we have. We've seen them, like, get water. Remember there was that oh, big machine? Oh, and that's eat. right. Uh, which you'll never, you'll never see it again, if I'm not mistaken. <laughs> but it's still there; it can make anything. Um, it was a big thing, and I think Marco Polo as well. Uh, oh, sure, 
Sure, sure, sure. You didn't get to see, but we, we heard it. Yeah. Um, there's a great moment here where uh, uh, William Russell gets to be kind of goofy and silly here. He's like pretending to like recite Shakespeare and Barbara's rolling <laughs> her eyes at him. It's, it's great. <laughs> it's great. Um, you kind of... Kind of get the feeling it was it was heading somewhere a little bit. I thought, you know, uh, for those of us who 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 are are, are rooting for Ian and Barbara to uh, to end up together, you know, big house for themselves, they're relaxing and absolutely, yeah. Um... Barbara's doing Ian's hair to make him look more Roman, you know. Ian's being goofy and reciting reciting Shakespeare. He's a Science teacher. He has no business doing that. <laughs> uh, but well, ha- the party gets crashed. Yeah. It's those, those damn the, slave traders again. The damn slave traders. Yeah, they, they come in. And again, this scene was kind of interesting because obviously it was, you know, the important plot point to the negative for our heroes, but it's still kind of done in a comedic way. Uh, the yeah. only reason they get captured is Barbara trying to help out, accidentally hit, you know, the head with a pot. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, again, they just play it enough, so it, they're not mocking anything, but there's just enough goofiness that it kind of takes the edge off a little bit. Um, so we cut back to the doctor and Vicky, and they, they come across the body of this murdered old man musician. And they get, uh, yeah, uh, he pick, this is important. The doctor picks up the liar to kind of investigate it. And that's, be, that's important because they get accosted by uh, a couple of centurions. Um, and they're like, hey, you're the musician that we're looking for. What are you, <laughs> you're late. Is that about the long and the short of it? Yeah, basically. Um, and they ask, and they ask him what his name is. And uh, he says, yes, I'm that person. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I uh, this is another patented Doctor Who insane plan that <laughs> should not work. And he gets not to spoil anything, but um, he gets he gets more mileage out of this plan than I think anyone could have <laughs> expected. Uh, this whole, for this sure. whole plan is just I'm going to be this person. I have no idea who he is or what he's wanted for. But yeah, sure, I'm him. <laughs> Um, and he and he later says he he immediately realized that like dude was murdered by the centurion stuff like that. But sure. although doctor's a little bit of a liar as we've also seen, so whether he really knew that or he was just having a good time, I think is kind of up to your own personal headcanon. Yeah, a liar holding a liar. <laughs> it's, it's poetic. Um, but his, uh, let's see, his his instinct is correct here, but um, maybe maybe we're not quite there yet. Right. Uh, that, yeah, we cut back to Ian and Barbara, and they're chained up in the slave cart. Um, and it, yeah, Ian's trying to figure out a way to get out. Barbara, being the uh, uh, you know the, the 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 motherly soul that she is, is more concerned that like the doctor and Vicky are like <laughs> they're not going to know where they are, and they don't know where they are. Um, you know, she's more concerned about the separation than the, uh, their uh, immediate situation, which is um. I think it's a nice little character moment. Agreed. Yeah, I really, I re- I really like the pace of this episode in general. Um, it was very character driven. And it was a lot of setup, obviously, but it didn't it didn't 
for the most part, it didn't feel too much like setup just because it was, there were so many great character interactions. Yeah. I think that that's totally fair. Um, our slave traders uh, start talking to a slave owner who I believe is going to be revealed to be um, the, 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 the Tavius, right? Uh, is that this episode or the next episode? Uh, I'm not sure. Um, so I guess hold that thought. Um, the slave trader, the slave owner who uh, may or may not be Tavius um, wants Barbara, but um, they're holding, they're holding back um, saying we can probably get a higher price for her in Rome. So he takes uh, three men instead, including Ian. And that's uh, where we leave him for this episode. And uh, that just leaves this fun note. This uh, kind of, kind of a weak cliffhanger here. Um, the doctor's um, instinct about, you know, one of the Turions is uh, surely uh, plotted the murder of this man uh, proves out to be correct. Um, one of the Centurions basically um, berates the guy who was on the on the road that murdered uh, the, the musician. This this poor guy who it's revealed his tongue is cut out. I don't know if it's in this episode or in the next, but it's in, it's in this one. Yeah, you got to imagine imagine being basically like a poor. I don't know the Roman equivalent of a serf who'd already been uh, tortured. And it's pretty sure you killed a guy to have the guy who told you to kill the other guy come back and say, you actually didn't kill him. And now I'm hitting you. What a, yeah. What a horrible situation. Um, For sure. Uh, so how, how does, uh, do, do you want to explain this uh, cliffhanger or should I? Well, it's just, uh, you know, of course the, the doctor's talking to Vicky about how, um, how can't sleep, and we see the assassin creeping to the doctor's room and slowly opening the door with the dagger out, um, you know, approaching to kill him, then the credits roll. Yeah. Uh, to describe it, it doesn't sound that bad, but it's maybe one of the only moments that feels a little oddly paced. You can yeah. almost you can almost feel the assassin, like, slowing down. It's almost like the equivalent of, like, watching an actor expecting the spotlights to, to turn off on a stage, but it happens like a beat later than he was expecting or something. So, um, yeah, I don't know. Um, wasn't yeah, a huge I, fan of this part, but fair enough. It wasn't the, it wasn't the best cliffhanger um, for nitpicking. <laughs> <laughs> that is the definition of a nitpick for sure. Mm. And that leads us right into episode two. All roads lead to Rome which I think is maybe one of the more clever titles they've had so far. Agreed. Agreed. Um, They're usually called, like, The Emperor or something. Right. And, of course, all our characters end up in Rome in this episode, and so it, it works. Yep, it's perfect. Uh, so the assassin tries to attack the doctor. Um, doesn't work. Is this where um, the doctor basically, like, blocks the... Uh, the assassin's blow with the liar, or is yeah. that later? No, this that is made, this is here. Yeah, just he, amazing. He actually guy's ass. <laughs> yeah, he. Yeah, the doctor is an adept fight. This is like this is like two fights in like three episodes that he just like clearly wins. <laughs> um, Absolutely, pretty good stuff. Um, and the doctor's like he's feeling himself a little bit. Um, 
and this is where they pitch together like okay like they, they want to kill this guy for some reason um which i think he kind of already knew um well, he, claimed, he claimed to already know this is what i was talking about whether or not you believe him <laughs> up to your own personal uh thoughts right so it's, it's here i believe that he decides well I'm just going to keep pretending to be uh, this musician. Um, I, I've, I've been called here to play for the emperor. And um, Vicky asked the um, pretty reasonable follow-up question of what's going to happen when they ask you to play the liar and you can't. <laughs> and the doctor's response, I think, is just, eh, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I'll figure it out. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> you got to admire the confidence. <laughs> well, and it's also it's also fun because Vicky and the Doctor had very little interaction in their first episode together. Yeah, and so it was fun to see them interacting and seeing Vicky being like, like having the appropriate reaction to his ridiculousness. So let's see. Uh, we cut back to Barbara, right? What's going on with Barbara? Well, uh, she's gone to Rome. She's the first one to Rome. Uh, and she's in, a, she's in a jail waiting to be auctioned off as a slave when she um, kind of befriends somebody, uh, a woman in the same cell who is ill. And she, she comes to her and talks about how her friend Ian is out there looking for her and is going to come and try to rescue him. Fantastic. You know, I think we can jump a little bit and stick with Barbara for a little bit here. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, yeah. Just for just for flow purposes, um, this is where Tavia shows up. I think I got them confused. They don't look anything alike, but I think story wise, for some reason, I thought Tavius was like in pursuit of Barbara for a specific reason. But no, I think this is where he makes his first appearance. Right. Well, he saw he saw her comforting the ill, um, the ill slave, other other slave, and that's what uh, it is. Uh. And he decided, I want this person at the, at the, you know, I want to help him out. Although you're not sure if this was a trust Tavius or not throughout the whole thing. Um, no. Yeah. Get used to not being quite sure what to make of him. Um, right. Yeah. He makes it pretty clear. Like, I'll, I'll just forget the auction. I'll buy, I'll name your price right now. And the guard's like, no, we had to go through, we had to go through the auction. Right. And, um, yeah, uh, you know, it doesn't seem like anyone really cares too much about this ill woman. And um, again, Barbara <laughs> makes it about this other person instead of herself. And uh, she just, yeah, she's something else. <laughs> right, absolutely. And so, you know, later in the episode, we do have that auction. Of course, Tavius bids a lot more than everyone else and is able to buy Barbara as a slave. Yeah, this is a, it's a fun scene. And I think the, it, obviously the way it's constructed, they kind of get all the characters. Uh, well, not all. Well, maybe not all. I don't know about Ian. We'll we'll see what's going on with Ian in a second. But like that slave auction scene is uh, again. I have an affinity for like auction sequences in movies and TV. I don't know why. Um, maybe because of like the instant instant stakes. You don't need to know anything. It's just numbers going up. <laughs> <laughs> you know. Fair enough. Yeah. Yeah. This is another well done one. Um, but yeah, how's Ian doing? Not well. Uh, we find Ian on a slave ship. He's rowing and he's, 
and he's, um, you know, he's below decks and he's chained up and he's got a row and he's befriended the guy next to him. Uh, Delos, who we talked to his, the, the, we talked about his actor earlier. That's right. That's yeah. And they, himself. they, they tried the, uh, the good old fashioned sick prisoner trick. Oh, yes. On the, I love on this the moment. Car. Uh, you know, Delos pretends to be sick and Ian's like, come help. And then Ian tries to go for the keys and it goes <laughs> terribly. Uh, the, the guard was not surprised at all by it. No, I had to respect it. Um, <laughs> the, the guard, I mean, I don't respect the, the plan was terrible and it deserved to fail. <laughs> but I re- I, it could have been very, they could have very easily made this, the, um, the guard, uh, uh, rock stupid and just to, to get them out of there. But to his credit, he's like, no, nah, you got, you got to do better than that. <laughs> and, and they do, uh, as it turns out, uh, mm-hmm. they have a, they have a second plan a little later and it goes a little better. Um, which is funny because it seems kind of improvised. Basically the ship hits a storm. Right. And yeah. yeah. Just hit, get, hit a bit of luck. I think in, in this serial, I will say, um, because if they didn't hit a storm here, like Ian, what he would have been so far away from Rome. Yeah, uh, you never see him again. Yeah, uh, and so the characters definitely hit a bit of luck, and they hit some luck when they hit a storm here, and the ship, um, you know, the ship takes on water, and and in that chaos, they the slaves are able to make a revolt, and and you know go against the slave driver. And so you're right, it was was a bit improvised. Um, And then ship sinks and Ian has the classic wake up on the beach after the shipwreck moment. And he was saying, friend Delos. This felt kind of almost Shakespearean a little bit. Um, uh, Twelfth Night kind of opens in a similar way of a, you know, a character uh, basically surviving a shipwreck and then um, it, kind of befriending like uh, not an aide, but like you know befriending a stranger uh, to get into his journey. Uh, uh, I don't, I, I doubt it was intentional, but it's it's this was this was a nice kind of epic in the in the literary sense, if not in the uh, you know scope for internet sense. Um, I have a nice little epic moment here. Yeah. Um, for sure. And then, of course, they both, you know, Ian's dead set to go to Rome. You know, Delos thinks, like, what are you, are you kidding me? We're two slaves going to Rome right now. Like, it's the worst place <laughs> we can be. Uh, but, you know, Ian wants to go for Barbara, and Delos decides to go with them. Yeah, which gets us to the slave auction, which we've covered. Um, Davius has bought Barbara and kind of, you know, kind of lays down the law, not in a mean way. Um, but, you know, Barbara's like, you can. Yeah, you can you can buy me all you want. I'm just gonna take off. And he's like, uh, "Please don't do that. Um, you will die. Or you can stay with me, and I'll treat you well." And yeah, he makes a makes a pretty convincing case for himself, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and now this is okay. So uh, we, we get to like, what I consider to be the centerpiece scene. One of one of many for the Doctor um, in this run of episodes. Uh, the the musician gets called up. Nero has arrived, belching, and um, uh, it's interesting. Um, in the special features, they, they talk about kind of uh, Nero's depictions in movies and TV up to this. And um, uh, 
uh, it seems like they've taken more than a little inspiration from uh, Peter Ustinov's depiction of Nero in uh, Quo Vadis, or Quo Vadis, I don't know, uh, the 1951 film. And uh, again, Peter Ustinov's kind of a blustery, kind of a goofier kind of character actor. And um, ah, it's a good fit for, uh, for Nero here, I think. Yeah, you know, this is, this is why, I, why I asked last week, like, when you see the Romans, what do you expect? Right. You maybe think Julius Caesar, you know, and maybe you think something about the Roman legion. Um, but instead they decided to go with like one of the worst. Yeah, uh, one of the bigger uh, pieces emperor. of crap. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, I guess it could have done Caligula, but like, oh, uh, even hmm. too dark for this. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> different, that'd be a different uh, serial altogether, I think. For sure, yeah. Uh, but I, I've always found this to be a really interesting choice. Uh, for historical figure to look at, you know, um, but but I guess it I guess it makes sense in this in the sense of like you you want your characters to be in danger. Um, is Mark Antony really going to put your characters in danger? You know, no, nor Caesar, unless he right. wanted to do like his mur- unless he wanted to do like his yeah. murder, which would be really dark. For sure, you could have had them, you know, with Brutus and and stuff like that, but yeah. And I, and I like to think, and again, we're jumping to the end here, so I won't, I won't elaborate too much, but I do think choosing Nero and the associated kind of historical event that he is known for kind of provides a good out for the serial. And it's, I, don't know if that, I don't know if that was just a happenstance. I don't know if they were thinking about, like, you know, big events to kind of to get, have our characters be directly involved with or respond <laughs> or responsible for. Um, but yeah, no, I think it's a, it's an excellent, excellent choice kind of fits in that kind of uh, comic, but still dark kind of thing. Um, I think you're right. All the other uh, main figures are either too straight laced or uh, way too intense for <laughs> <laughs> 1960s British television. And you get a great comic performance out of it. Um, right, absolutely, and gets to have a uh, gets to allow William Hartnell to kind of flex the comic muscle that I guess he'd always regretted not getting to do more of. Um, and to that end, we get this kind of great scene uh, where <laughs> the whole uh, not being able to play a liar thing gets uh, pretty directly challenged. Uh, I don't know if you want to walk us through that one. So he he meets Nero and. Uh, you know, of course, Nero is over the top, full of himself, you know, kind of feminine a little bit, just, he, he eats up the whole screen, um, and he, he sees, he's, he's kind of acting childish, and he sees the doctor, and of course, what's the first thing he wants the famous musician to do? <laughs> Play some music, man. Play some music, right? Um, and the doctor, I don't know if he had this plan, or he just thought of it on the feet, but he basically says... How could I play for you when you're the greatest in the world? So I'm like completely plays up to his ego <laughs> and hands and hands Nero the liar to start playing. It's so good. <laughs> uh, and it works like a charm. Mm-hmm, right. And you, and you buy it just because of, you know, kind of the general popular pop culture impression of Nero and and the actors I think as an actor sell it. 
Uh, and that gets us to, um, you know, Nero breaks off and says, I'll, I'll talk to you later. Uh, we should jump back a little bit. Um, there's, a, there's a plot point here that um, I brushed over. Um, while Barbara and Tavius were talking earlier, they get interrupted by a, by a messenger who, um, I have this right? Let's see. Um, no, let me back up. Uh, when, the ta- when Tavius and the doctor pretending to be Petulian arrive, uh, you know, they're talking. Um, Tavius kind of frantically explains to him that the problem they have has been sorted out and that he has been put in the, uh, I'm going to get this wrong, the, the apoditerium. And so after all this stuff with Nero and uh, the doctor resolves, Dr. Invicula, let's go down to the, uh, <laughs> the apoditerium. Uh, I, I can feel Roman scholars uh, screaming at me right here, and I'm sorry. Uh, they still want to figure out, like, what, what, is, what does he mean? What, is, what does he mean by that? Uh, and they go down there, and, uh, well, they find the body of the, uh, of the traitorous uh, centurion in there. Uh, and, so, and so we're seeing Tavius as maybe, you know, he's, he's working on an agenda, you know, and we don't know what that agenda is, but he, he doesn't seem quite like someone we should be trusting, despite the fact that he, he arguably helped Barbara by buying him, by buying her, putting her in the palace. And that should be mentioned as well. Barbara's in the same place as the doctor and Vicky, and they have not run into each other. Yeah. Um, I wonder if that might change soon. Mm. Uh, All right. And what well, gets us to the end of episode two, Ian and Delos are... Um, that they, they've been they've been picked I, yeah this is another maybe not so strong uh ending point although uh, i have a fondness for it uh they've been <laughs> they've they've been picked up and arrested they're now in a they're now in the same prison that barbara was earlier and you know in kind of thor ragnarok fashion um or spartacus fashion i guess depending on what kind of what you <laughs> what kind of historical fiction you uh <laughs> Yeah, Thor Ragnarok, that great historical fiction piece. Or, or Spartacus, that piece of historical <laughs> fiction. That, that fictionist, the fictitious story of uh, Spartacus. Um, uh, basically, they're going to be gladiators and they're going to fight for their freedom. Um, and what is okay, what they, like, okay, so like immediately when coming into Rome, they get captured. Yeah. And, uh, again, it's just great. <laughs> um, and yeah, and so they find out they're going to be. Uh, fighting lions in the Colosseum. Yeah, <laughs> you know, well, first the lions are presented as, um, pre- I don't know how they integrated the stock footage in so well. I couldn't believe it. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it was a literal cut to and then just a bunch of lions like roaring. <laughs> yeah, like in a different place entirely. Just. <laughs> Just some lions. And my big question going into episode three was, how are they going to pull off a lion fight? I was, I was intrigued by this. This, this. this seemed a pretty cocky promise for the show to be making. <laughs> um, just to keep that in mind. Uh, as we go into episode three, and now yeah, here's more of a Doctor Who uh, serial title, Conspiracy. Ooh. Fantastic. Um, this is this is the episode they they've done comedy in the first two episodes, but this is the episode I feel like they really like went all in on the comical farce of the 
of the cereal. Yeah, we're getting yeah we're getting to that Scooby Doo chase scene that uh, we alluded to earlier. So the doctor's putting it together that uh, Tavius had this uh, had the guard murdered, and um, he has some part to play that hasn't been revealed yet. Um, but he's just, he's just look he's all in on this plan, and you gotta respect it. Um, <laughs> so he kinda, he plays dumb to Tavius. And this, yeah, um, this they start setting the table for this banquet that's being held in um, uh, the pavilions. I, 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 we just call him the doctor, right? Yeah, we just call him the doctor. Uh, there's a banquet being held in his honor, but now he has to play the liar. So take that, uh, doc. <laughs> and uh, t- there's something else Nero is starting to realize about one of the characters. Um, Starting to starting to get sweet on Barbara, isn't he? Right. So Barbara's been assigned to his wife, Pompeia, to be her, I don't know, I guess personal slave. Uh and Nero comes in and sees her and decides, uh, yeah, he um he's sweet on Barbara, which of course angers his wife. Uh yeah, not great. Yeah. Um and you so the Nero to me came off kind of like Pepe Le Pew in this. <laughs> in this yeah. So uh, he just he's chasing Barbara. Barbara can't quite say no, uh, but she has to find a way to just like get away from him. Yeah, no, that's li- that's literally what he's doing. Yeah. If he could get away with like with like kissing her hand and going all the way up to her arm, he would have. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and so of course Papaya basically wants to off Barbara for this because um, it's her fault apparently. <laughs> uh, and this kind of leads to uh, Vicky meeting the character. We cut back to Vicky, and she meets a character that I wish had been explored a little more because I found her position very interesting. Uh, basically, she runs into Vicky meets Locusta. And what what's Lacusta's role in the uh, in the Great Empire of Nero? She's the court poisoner, of course. That's and what, is, what, am I, am I, what is what does she do as the court poisoner? She just creates poison for people to <laughs> kill other people with. <laughs> that's just that's so wonderful to the degree that I have to wonder if that's a, this has to be based off a real historical thing, right? I, I believe so. Like. It's just so wonderful to the point where you have to wonder if the court poisoner has to be kind of a uh, dangerous position because you know everything going on in that court. <laughs> You're aware of every affair, every sort of you know, backstab. Uh, you know that's just it's, that's not an invalid that's that's not a valueless position, and I have to wonder if they're if they were ever poisoned themselves. Uh, probably, probably. Um... But at the same time, like you may have en- enemies, but you also have this specialized position. Whereas you kill this person, then you have to go find another one. Right. I mean, they're kind of not taking sides, right? They're just doing a job. Absolutely, they're like this new- neutral position. Um, she kind of alludes to like her big career aspiration is to um, eventually poison Nero himself, which is such a dark <laughs> joke. Uh, yeah. Um. 
we cut back to the doctor. He's trying to get some information out of Nero about this conspiracy. Nero has no idea what he's talking about. He's a big dummy. And right. So, yeah. Uh, doctor can that before Nero or against them. And yeah. Mm-hmm. He um, to quite get the plan out from people just come out and say it, which makes sense. People yeah. come out and say what their conspiracy is. Yeah, absolutely. And so now we have kind of a, a kind of a, a Princess Bride esque moment here. Papea goes down to uh, meet the uh, court poisoner. Vicky's hiding. Papea, I think she's hiding. Um, she's hiding because uh, you know Papea would probably have bad things happen to Vicky if she saw him there. She's hiding on the table, literally. Yeah. Um, and Papea is basically alluding to like, "There's a slave girl I want killed." Uh, yeah, yeah. Pour me a beer there, bartender. Um, she doesn't say that, but you know, make me, you know, get me some poison. Uh, cuts us back to the banquet hall. This banquet's about to begin. Nero's Pepe Le Pewing over at Barbara, giving her like gifts and stuff. Just trying to get a simple kiss. He's not so bad, is he? <laughs> <laughs> Let's cut that. Uh, um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, we're, uh, the, um, a servant shows up with these two goblets of wine. Uh, Vicky tells the doctor, um, let's see. Well, hey, the, the, Vicky, uh, Vicky switches the go- goblets here. Isn't that right? Vicky switches the goblets, right. Because she doesn't want the, the slave to be poisoned, but she also doesn't want to be responsible for killing Nero. Right, so she's like, I switched them, and now I'm saying, like, someone go stop this. Mm-hmm. And uh, what, what does the doctor do here? Well, uh, he, you know, stuff with Vicky, you know, the whole, you know, he can't rewrite history. Although, if the doctor let this happen, would history have been rewritten? Uh, that's a question the serial does not quite ponder. But it's a great question. So, I like that they yeah. ask these every once in a while. Uh, but the doctor goes up to Nero and stops him from drinking the wine. He tells him, there's a there's poison in it. You shouldn't drink it. Okay, and so that, says, thank you. Yeah, how does that solve the issue of um <laughs> this poison glass of wine though? It's got to go to someone. Well, I don't think it did have to go to someone, but it does. Uh, Nero <laughs> called a slave over and says, "This kind of out of curiosity, see if there was really poison in there." And you get this kind of like over the top, like the guy drank it and like <laughs> and like falls to his death. <laughs> and, it, and it's another moment, like, because this episode is full of just, like, these dark sequences being played like Scooby-Doo uh, right. for a laugh, and it's it's fascinating. Yeah, I mean, earlier we had Nero and Barbara running around, you know, again, roughly equivalent to one of those sequences in Scooby-Doo where, you know, they'd be chasing, the swamp monster would be chasing Scooby and Shaggy. It'd go in the, uh, the, the, the front set of doors and the back set of doors. And then at one point, you know, Scooby and Shaggy would be chasing the swamp monster. And then they'd kind of meet in the middle and both get scared. Um, you know, there's a sequence early on in this episode that feels very much like that. Right. And, now we well, have, yeah. and now we have someone doing like a <laughs> clutching his chest kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, just good stuff, I say. <laughs> um, but Papaya. Of course, uh, uh, yeah. She sends the core poisoner to jail for um <laughs> the poison was completely potent. It wasn't her fault. Yeah, absolutely not. 
And that gets us to the banquet. The which, banquet is a, yeah. which leads, it, I found this whole sequence delightful. Um, there is talk, um, there's assurances that the uh, <laughs> Tavius uh, tells the doctor all is in place for tomorrow. Uh, the doctor kind of plays that off as neutrally as he can. But this, uh, the problem at hand is he now is at this banquet in his honor. He needs to play. Everyone wants him to play. He can't play. What does he do? Well, he goes up and says only, like, the way he's going to play it, like, only people with the most sensitive hearing can, can make out the notes and, and, and hear what he's playing. And he goes and he doesn't actually play it. He just, like, pretends to pick at the strings. And everyone is pretending they can hear what he's playing. Um, so good. And yeah, he just takes a battle after a little bit, and everyone cheers. And <laughs> if this, um, yeah, if this all sounds familiar, um, but don't worry, the doctor has your back. He explains. <laughs> he explains to Vicky that um, he pulled a trick similar to the story of uh, the Emperor's new clothes. Which, of course, is the idea he gave to Hans Christian Andersen. <laughs> I, 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 I do enjoy when the doctor, like, name drops like that. Um, yeah. Um, I guess it's okay to rewrite history in that case, but... <laughs> right, <laughs> I know. Uh, if, it, if it provides him a, a couple laughs, um, it's all right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, um, but... Yeah, so, but um, but even though this is his kind of, um, he may have overplayed his hand here a little bit because what happens after everyone praises the doctor for his brilliant playing the LARP? Uh, a liar. Yeah. Uh, Nero gets pretty jealous of him and looks ready to kick his ass. <laughs> um, so yeah, he may have played with his yeah. ego too much. Yeah. Um, but thankfully, um, uh, Barbara shows up and uh, t- you know takes him with her. Right, so he he leaves off and he wants he ha- he has a plan, right? He's coming right. with a plan. He, he's gonna he's gonna have the doctor killed for being too good of a player. Yeah, pretty much. And this kind of brings us back to Ian and Delos, um, who you know uh, we kind of get around the whole lion thing by just having them fight each other instead, which is right, probably I- better for drama. Yeah. Well, I also think, you know, this is just like a private fight for Nero, right? It's like not in front of the whole Coliseum. And so from a very practical standpoint for the show, it was probably a good choice because there's no way they're going to pull off the Coliseum or Lions. No way. Uh, and you're right, it's perhaps more, a more dramatic choice. Um, yeah, this is basically for um, Nero to blow off a little steam. So... Uh- we're at the fight here. Um, the plan, the plan, as I understand it, is that um, you know, d- during the uh, during the fight, Maximus, the doctor, is going to play, but uh, at the Roman version of halftime, uh, the lions are going to be let loose on him, and uh, they basically just uh, eat him in front of everybody. <laughs> Yeah, basically, like in the middle of a of the gladiator spectacle. Yeah, they're gonna have the doctor go out and play, and then lions will come out and kill him. That's his. That's Nero's grand plan. 
but there's a fight to be uh, fight to be watched first. Um, and Ian and uh, Dallas give it their all. Uh, Ian One of the better choreographed uh, fight yeah. I think. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree. Clear. Um, it's precise. You kind of have like, these changing of fortunes. Uh, Ian has Delos dead to rights, but refuses to kill him. They go again. This time, Delos disarms Ian. Nero gives Ian the thumbs down. Delos looks like he's going to uh, basically cut Ian's head off here. Um, uh, but we'll have to wait till next week to see what happens. Well, we won't have to. Uh, <laughs> they'll just tell you right now. Because uh, <laughs> that gets us to episode four. Inferno. And uh just... very Doctor Who title there. In fact, there's gonna be a serial later on named Inferno. Ooh, I like that. Uh so yeah. Um what yeah. does Delos do here? He has a change of heart and you know, because he doesn't want to kill friends. And so he attacks Nero instead of killing me. Yeah. Um and, you know, they fight, and uh, Ian and Delos are able to escape, and not, they're not able to take Barbara with them. Right. But um, Ian tells Barbara he'll come back for her. And yeah. Nero sours on Barbara pretty quickly here. Uh, there's also a scene I enjoy here, because Nero's delusional, the way he's... he's yeah, absolutely. He, he's delusional, and maybe that's how some emperor's word easy to see how one could be delusional when you're just surrounded by people who tell you what you want to hear all the time. Uh, and there's a point where the gladiator, uh, one of his guards is dead. Like he was killed by either Ian or Delos. And, and like Nero kicks him and says, fight for me or something like that. Right. Um, and I, and I, and that was, that was kind of an interesting moment because it, it was, it almost wasn't played for last. It was almost like they kind of, Took comedy is a step back, but it's, it's still like it took a comedic line. I don't, I don't know if I'm explaining what I'm saying right. No, I get you. It's in the could have been played as, um, you know, if I'm understanding correctly, it could have been played as something kind of broad, but instead it kind of felt like a character moment a little bit. <laughs> like, and it, it felt like it actually felt very serious and dark. You have this child running a country who's yeah. completely crazy. Um, even in the moment of like danger, he's completely delusional about what's going on, and and it, and it matches what we've seen with him before. But before it was played for laughs, and here it's played for kind of creepiness. I would argue. Well, and I think it's kind of important to you know set set up what what's coming up in a minute here to kind of show you know Nero's all fun and games, but there's a real consequence having someone like that kind of be the leader of the. the um, the world at that point, basically. Um, and yeah. it might, might motivate the other characters to do something drastic. Um, Octavius and Papea kind of have a kind of a tense moment here. Um, Papea wants Barbara gone. Octavius kind of baits her a little bit. And, uh, yes. I think Papea wants Barbara dead, right? Uh, uh, that might be right. <laughs> that makes more sense. Uh. <laughs> um, um. And so, yeah, Tevez doesn't want to kill Barbara, but um, so he says he'll dismiss her, I believe. Yeah, I think, yeah, I think that's the uh, kind of the compromise. Um, Tevez says he was going to, you know, Barbara kind of says, like, hey, my, my friend Ian's coming. And Tevez's like, that's fine. I had to let you go anyway. Barbara kind of knows that something's going on. 
Well, she overheard um, Nero's plans at the arena or to the slave traders right. and tells them that um, Nero's plan on killing Maximus Pepea, or uh, whatever his name is, Maximus Petulian. Petulian. Um, and like how it's happening and stuff like that. And so, of course, uh, Tavis is very interested by that and goes and immediately warns the doctor and Vicky. So we have a situation here where Vicky unknowingly saved Barbara's life and now Barbara has unknowingly saved the doctor's life. Yeah. Because she doesn't know. Right. She, she was not able to watch the doctor's performance. Um, which gets us to um, the doctor and Vicky kind of coming across uh, well, they come up with a, a couple different plans. Um, Nero's big plan is revealed, and the big conspiracy here is revealed, and uh, they're connected. Um, basically, Nero wants to create a new Rome in his image, and uh, Tavius and other advisors uh, want him dead before that happens. Is that about the long and the short of it? Right. Well, of course, because the Senate doesn't... Senate has to agree to the plans, and the Senate never agreed to Nero's plans. And yeah, people, people want Nero dead... Uh, and Maximus Petillion was supposed to kill Nero. Right. So the doctor kind of is, is in a bit of a pickle here. Uh, everyone wants to secretly kill each other at this point. Um, so uh, the, the, the doctor wants to, now he wants to c- cut bait and leave town, but um, that's not going to happen. Uh, not quite, yeah. Um... Yeah, we basically have we have we have some table setting here. The Nero shows up, tells the doctor, um, "You're playing tomorrow night." The doctor says, "Sure," but um, he's using the power of science to kind of um, uh, play his hand here. Um, the doctor's big plan is what? <laughs> he, uh, he basically convinces. He basically puts the idea in Nero's head to burn down Rome. Right. Um, and actually, I think right. this ties back to, um, you know, the idea of change, trying to change, uh, you know, trying to interfere with history. Um, and history kind of corrects itself here in a, or, in a weird way. The cause of the history, right? Uh, right. Kind of a paradox here. I just wanted to know, there was a lot of puns in this scene that I enjoyed. Because <laughs> uh, Nero comes and says, "I want you to play in the arena," and the doctor's like, "Oh, I'm sure it'll be a roaring success." Oh, uh, sure. Where, where the doctor is like, he's just messing with Nero because he knows his plans and he's making a bunch of lion puns. Yeah, no, again, it's just like this. It's a it's a silly show on the page, but um, again, it kind of has this mix of broad humor and like deathly serious stuff. Um, he gets the he he gives the doctor a, 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 he gives the doctor the doctor gives Nero the idea because he basically uses his spec he uses his glasses to, you know hit you know against a ray of sunlight to burn the plans which takes care of that but that's what gives Nero the idea it's like oh yeah fire you're brilliant I'll uh, I'll just burn it all down um right and then Rome will have to be rebuilt and it can be whatever Nero wanted it to be. It's not a bad plan if you're a lunatic. Uh, <laughs> uh, and this also gives Ian and Dallas a way into the um, palace because Nero is hiring people to burn down Rome. Yeah, so amidst the chaos, this is kind of how they're all going to be able to uh, get back together. It should be because, of course, 
Yeah, yeah. Nero had a plan of using Barbara's bait to capture Ian and Delos, who attacked him. Right, because he was uh, aware so... of Ian knowing Barbara. <laughs> right. Because um, they, they talked uh, after when Delos and Ian were escaping. Right. Um, let's see. So uh, this gets us back to, um, yeah, basically... Tavius hits Ian, reunites him with Barbara. Ian and Barbara get out of there. Um, as Della starts kicking ass with a torch. <laughs> and here um, is where it's revealed that Tavius was a Christian all along. Right? Yeah, this is an interesting little scene. And it's not pl- it's played, I mean, they make, a, they make a point of it, but they don't play it too heavily. Kind of in a similar vein to how the Aztecs ended. With kind of this um, interesting religious twist um uh yeah uh, what'd you think of this moment <laughs> it felt very 60s to me um, Interesting. I, I, feel like, I feel like you know it's because culture was a bit more religious back in the 60s i think that's a pretty uh, Va- Va- vatican two on the horizon <laughs> right vatican two on the horizon yeah um and it just feels like you know i mean i it's, it's interesting in one sense because it's kind of like showing kind of like the upcoming change that Christianity is going to bring to the Roman Empire. So some sort of historical foreshadowing. Um, but also to feel, it just feels like there wouldn't be the, that scene doesn't feel like it would, would have been in a script if it was written today, you know? Oh, absolutely. Um, so that's what I meant. Like it felt very much like a, a 60s, you know, he was a good guy all along because he was a Christian. Right. Well, you know, interesting you bring that up. Um, you know, for as lighthearted of an adventure as it often was, um, the Great Fire of Rome was deathly serious. <laughs> some well, pretty it, some it, severe consequences. Right. Well, every, everything in this serial has been dire and serious played for laughs, and the Great Fire of Rome is no exception. Uh, some scholars... Um, even point to the fact that it, it was one well one of the many reasons um, uh, Rome started persecuting Christians. Uh, uh, it, it's possible. That it's not clear um, to me. Uh, the fifteen seconds of research, which makes me an expert, um, it seems that the fire might have been an accident that Nero took took political advantage of um, the, the blame it on the Christians. The, something he was probably going to do anyway. Um, so I think this moment's kind of interesting in that in that respect. Um, Christianity is about to rise to Rome, and life is about to get really hard. <laughs> yeah, true. Yeah, and of course the, um, the doctor and Vicky also uses the chaos to escape. Yeah, um, and you get to this shot of uh, Rome burning, and uh, I was surprised. And the special features, William Russell has a a good laugh about how cheesy this looked and uh, it's a sentiment shared by others uh, on the feature. I didn't think it looked that bad. We've done anything worse worse in the show. Um... I think it was effective. I mean, did it look like that we were in, it wasn't backdraft, but uh, you know, (laughs) we, I got the idea. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I agree. They were a bit harsh on it, but Mm -hmm. You, you like you got to do, and you have this really good scene between the doctor and Vicky, where uh, Vicky accuses the doctor of inspiring this, and the doctor flat out denies it, and then kind of seems tickled by the thought uh, behind Vicky's back. Yeah, again, kind of a nice little button 
on this um, idea of rewriting history. And again, going back to the Aztecs, that's also kind of dealt with the same thing. Like you can't, you can't put too much of a thumb on history or on trying to change a culture here. But it kind of seems like the doctor kind of won that argument with Barbara in this one. And here it kind of feels like maybe there's a perspective change a little bit now that he's the one directly involved in the, <laughs> the, thumb, the, the thumb putting on the scale, to, you know. Right. Right. Well, and it kind of leads you to the question and doesn't answer the question, you know, would the fire still have happened even if the doctor didn't pretend to be, you know, Maximus Petillion or whatever his name is? Right. Or, uh, or is it, uh, is it something where the doctor legitimately caused this and it wouldn't have happened if it weren't for the doctor? Well, I, I guess we'll never know. The, the show doesn't address it, but I think it's interesting. Um, I like to think he directly caused it. Me too. <laughs> God, sweet. <laughs> That's basically it. We do have this nice moment where um, uh, the the doctor and Vicky, you know, Ian and uh, Barbara get back to the, um, the house that they're crashing at and basically just collapse and fall asleep, which is reasonable. Yeah, fair enough. And the doctor and Vicky show up and the doctor kind of starts berating them for loafing around. <laughs> and um, they can't get a word in. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, which kind of makes for this nice moment where you realize like, oh yeah, like you never... The four of them never truly reunite throughout this. No, yeah, no, they're completely separate. I had no idea they were in the same city the whole time. I love that. I agree. It was. It was. It's nice. It's a nice little um, piece of dramatic irony. Yeah, but you know, as as they go off, Vicky fills them all in, and uh, uh, Vicky asks where they're going next. Doctor says, "I don't know," and we kind of get this. Uh, uh, kind of an abrupt ending where uh, the, the doctor goes, oh, I feel like we're being pulled into like a, a mysterious planet. And then it, the episode just kind of stops. It's a cliffhanger for the next serial. Yeah. But yeah. yeah. We'll... And that does it for the Romans. Um, mm-hmm. Successful thing. Now I, I'll let you talk about this. So we'll just say a little button on this um, and the special features. Um, this is not the last time Doctor Who um, returns to Rome. And again, I know we're kind of jumping in the chronology here, but I did watch the special features. I am aware of this moment, and I'm sure anyone listening is also aware of it. So it, I think it's worth talking about. Um, let's talk about Doctor Who's return real quick. Well, um, you know, when, when it comes to the, the new series, the, the 2005 continuation or reboot, depending on how you want to look at it, you know, it's definitely very much designed to be where you didn't have to watch the classic series uh, to to watch and enjoy it. But they'll still kind of drop lines, or you know, maybe they'll use a, a prop that was used in the classic series. Like there's a couple like really overt references where like they directly like there's there's one or two episodes that are like a direct sequel to something that happened in classic Doctor Who. But generally speaking. It's, it's more like kind of a line here or a prop there. And like, for instance, uh, the David Tennant doctor is back in, back in Roman times. And he, uh, he makes a comment to the companion that he had nothing whatsoever to do with the great fire of Rome. <laughs> I love it. it. It's a perfect joke. It works as a standalone thing, but it also makes for a nice little tie and a nod to the show's history. 
Right. Well, and also works because like we never saw the doctor give Hans Christian Anderson the idea for the answer's new clothes, right? I mean, right. it's something that's in character of the doctor. And so when you can also make it something that we've seen as the audience, that's, that's a lot of fun. Yeah, agreed. Very much in the spirit of the character uh, as established as early as the 1960s. And that does it for the Romans. Uh, do you want to quickly, uh, uh, to borrow a term from a, from a, uh, an old pod, old <laughs> show podcast, do you want to, um, do you want to prehash uh, the next serial? Um, sure. Uh, something I want to do real quick is compare this one with The Reign of Terror, which was the other one written by Dennis Spooner. Hmm. Because, I don't know, rewatching these, you know, kind of knowing what's coming, I, I feel like Dennis Spooner has a different approach to the Doctor than other writers. I would agree. I think what stands out to me about The Reign of Terror is that they weren't afraid to let um, William Hartnell kind of be funny and be goofy. So like the moments that stand up to me from Reign of Terror um, outside of that pretty terrific first episode are these moments where um, Doctor kind of gets to be light. Like he, he bonds with them. <laughs> oh, I might be thinking of another, that might be Marco Polo, but um you get these you get these moments of light whimsy you know him walking through the french countryside and him kind of or when he's like captured and is like on the you know made to work the roadside and he tricks the the guy into being old exactly and uh you know he gets to he kind of gets to have some flair by putting on like french kind of uh these parisian garbs and stuff and uh i think as opposed to kind of this um kind of almost like Mr. Wizard type character that he can sometimes fall into you know, stuff like Land of the Giants and stuff. Uh, you kind of get this light. Yeah. Uh, sure. Oh, my bad. <laughs> um, yeah, you get this, um, you get this lighter side to him. And um, I, don't know, I don't know if that's the direction yeah. you're going, but that's what that's yeah, what yeah, he, to me. He, he plays a more mischievous, I feel. Yes, that's a great word he, for it. Uh, he, because he, normally the doctor is kind of, He's been grumpy and can't rewrite history, not one line. And, you know, there's been some jokes with him, but the more, you know, kind of, he's thinking through, like you said, the Mr. Wizard character, whereas he gets to be a little, have more fun, you know, he, he dressed up as, he went under, in both serials with Devin and Spinner, he's taken on an alias. Right? Yeah, he's fair. pretending to be someone else and has having fun, you know, trying to, you know, trying to, be in the situation and just kind of going with the flow. Um, and I, I feel like, I feel like, you know, with Dennis Spooner being our script editor, I'm, I'm wondering, you know, is that different approach to the doctor with more of a trickster, more mischievous going to permeate, or maybe it's just how his personal style and it's not going to affect the other scripts too much. Yeah. I think that, I, I think you, thank you. Put the nail on the head there. Um, it's a, it's a, it's a, it, it's a good, it's a good depiction. Um, and I think it kind of plays to the uh, inherent skills that um, William Hartnell has, and it, I, I think you can tell he enjoys playing that side of it. Because mm-hmm. again, you know, he didn't get to do; he was kind of trained in 
the comedic arc. He didn't. He, he always had to kind of play like stern guy, and I think he enjoyed being able to be a little lighter and more mischievous and more impish. And uh, a, a happy William Hartnell is a happy is a is a, is a happy Brian, is what I say. <laughs> and a, and a happy oh, so what have we got? What do we got next week? <laughs> uh, so we got the sixth episode uh, serial, the Web Planet. So. Um, you know, uh, the show doing a good job being stagnant. It's, you know, going from the future to the past, the future. Now we're on a different planet. Uh, and how should I, how should I prehash this one? Uh, I've been, I've been looking forward to uh, you watching this one. Uh, okay. Um, it's, it's a very, very, very ambitious serial. Okay. Yeah. Uh, obviously, it's a more sci-fi one. Um, and I can honestly say I've never seen anything else quite like it. That's exciting. Okay. Yeah. Cool. And uh, I, 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 I can say that I haven't uh, seen anything like it either. Um, I won't be able to say that next week. So we'll have watched it. And we'll be discussing it here on Pop Culture Historians. Uh, if you like what you heard... Um, rate and review and whatever uh, your podcast or choice might be and uh oh life lesson uh for this week um what i learned um well i think this one gets straight to the point um don't rewrite history unless you think it'll be funny in which case <laughs> go for it <laughs> absolutely <laughs> all right well uh next week uh web planet um all right see y'all next week <laughs>